Good morning, everybody. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians. Uh, we just started the book, so we're going to still be in chapter 1. You want to go ahead and start opening your Bibles uh, there. We're going to start off by wrapping up our discussion from Wednesday, the first 11 verses. And then our goal is to finish the chapter, verses 12 through 24. I've asked uh, Brother Steve to lead us in a prayer. Um, just so you know, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to raise your hand. We'll try to get uh, a microphone to you. Uh, we have a couple of runners that can get you a microphone so, uh, without any problems. So, uh, Steve, to you. Again, we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. In his opening statements, some people may say that Paul is talking quite a bit about himself, but really I think Paul is keeping the focus on the greatness of God in verse 3, or at least starting in verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. We talked about the, the concept of what comfort means, sort of uh, some definitions of that, uh, strengthening uh, the idea of encouragement, and we discussed the idea that life comes with suffering. And the Christian walk has its own special uh, trials, troubles, tribulations. Uh, yet, because of what God has done in Christ, we can have strength. We can't share in the comfort of God without also sharing in the sufferings cross. If we, if we want to have strength from God, we have to be able to go through what uh, Jesus went through. And you see that in the book of Acts. You see all the sufferings that the apostles and disciples went through. And yet they found their strength in God. Uh, many times people may say, they don't really, let, let, me, try, let me try and rephrase this. In a different way. How can we expect to get strength and comfort from God 
if we don't think we need him. If we feel like we're very independent or self-reliant, that we can take care of things ourselves, that nothing, nothing is too overwhelming for us, then, then there's not really any room for, for God. We're, we're essentially saying there's no need for God in, in our lives. Um, when it comes to seeking comfort and, and, and peace of mind, some people say, you know what, I can, I'll finally be able to get some peace of mind um, once my circumstance changes. But if we're really seeking uh, our circumstances to change, then there's never really going to be any true peace uh, that we're going to have. Um, and you notice that um, in verses 8 through 11, especially verses 9 and 10, uh, we uh, see uh, Paul describe God as the God who has delivered us. He does deliver us, and in fact, he will deliver us uh, from death. But comfort is not the same as deliverance. God is not going to pull us out of every trouble so that we face no ills in this life. But he sees us through these troubles. And, uh, and that's where we can find that hope. We can have our, our established faith uh, in him. I really appreciated our, our conversation that we had on the first 11 verses. Was there anything else that stood out to you uh, in verses 1 through 11? Yes, yes. We just want to kind of um, give a thought about what you had just explained in terms of comfort. I think a lot of times it's difficult for me to, to draw a line between uh, the effort I put forth and the way that God comforts me. For example, as a steward, I feel like I shouldn't have to lean on anything. You know, God has given me the stewardship and, and, a, and a life and, and that kind of thing. And so what I find really amazing is that God knows me better than I know even myself. And I do think he allows some pressure for some growth and that kind of thing. But I've noticed in my life, and I've heard other people notice in their lives, that when they truly need it, God is there and abundantly offers consolation and comfort and peace and that kind of thing. Much like a, a parent, when they're teaching a child to walk, kind of knows a little bit more and, and will allow you know that child to take some steps that maybe they didn't realize that they could. Uh, and so it's incredible to think of something that knows you better than yourself. And, and I think that sort of implies when it comes to this comfort. I mean, they, they were uh, they were. They thought they were going to die. You know, they thought that they were at the end and they were doing everything that they could. And, and God um, offered them uh, safety and comfort and peace. Absolutely. I appreciate that that thought that we are stewards, but it's not for me to be, I'm not forced to comfort myself. I can't strengthen myself. Uh, and, and he had the sentence of death on him such that, uh, and we talk about the purpose of that being so that he would not rely on himself, but on God who raised him. Yes. I appreciate verse 11 because he 
goes through all of this of how God gives us all comfort, then he brings it right back down to earth where we don't just have to depend on God. But he said, you also join in helping us through your prayers on our behalf so that thanks may be given on our behalf by many persons for the gracious gift bestowed on us through the prayers of many. So we can't just do it on our own. We have to have each other. It's, you know, we have to have all the prayers of each other going up to God on our behalf. Absolutely, I, yeah. We didn't really talk a lot about verse 11, talking about how Paul is speaking to the Corinthians, saying, you, in fact, are our helping. Um, you have a role to play in this uh, through prayers. Um, I don't necessarily, if we look at the context, I don't know if it's necessarily a, a power in numbers and if enough people are praying, then he's going to be delivered from that. But it speaks to the multiplication of thanks and glory to God as a result. Whenever they hear of how God has worked in Paul's life in delivering him through these circumstances, what's their response? is that they are praying to God and giving him thanks and the credit and the glory for it. Very good. Anything else in the first 11 verses? All right, let's go ahead and get into... Uh, the rest of the chapter. Um, I'd like for somebody, if you want to volunteer, to read verses 12 through 24. Uh, we'll essentially break it down as far as discussion goes, but we'll just have, we'll go ahead and have one read through. Yes. Indeed, this is our boast. The testimony of our conscience is that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially toward you with godly sincerity not by human wisdom, but by God's grace. For we are writing nothing to you other than what you can read and also understand. I hope you will understand completely, just as you have partially understood us, that we are your reason for pride, just as you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. Because of this confidence, I planned to come to you first, so that you could have a second benefit, and to visit you on my way to Macedonia, and then come to you again from Macedonia, and be helped by you on my journey to Judea. Now when I now when I planned this, was I of two minds? Or what I plan, do I plan in a purely human way so that I say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As God is faithful, our message to you is not yes or no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus, Timothy, and I, did not become a yes and no. On the contrary, in him it is always yes. For every one of God's promises is yes in him. Therefore, through him, we also say amen to the glory of God. Now it is God who strengthens us together with you in 
afraid that I did not come to Corinth. I did not mean that we lorded over your faith, but we are workers with you for your joy, because you stand firm in your faith. Thank you. What stands out to you? Let's just go, let's go ahead and is there anything, especially in the first couple of verses, that, uh, that stand out to you as uh, Paul starts talking about um, his behavior, his speech, his conduct. Um, what stands out to you? Yes, John. And then Yeah, so the, the main things that he kind of brings to them is that he can simplicity, ability, sincerity, which is also going to be the things that they have accusations against him of, uh, that he's not like these super apostles that are now flesh that is not all but that's like this testament like that he is from God doing God's will and so him saying these things isn't going to prove better to them on a fleshly standard but by God's standard and so uh, him, him doing this isn't helping his argument if you're just getting to keep looking into flesh that's a, that's a good point. Um, you could see some connections that he, he's laying down the foundation of what he's going to address in chapters 10 through 13 of uh, people have something against him, but uh, we see themes, especially in verse 12, simplicity, your translation may render it singleness or holiness and godly sincerity. Yeah, that's fine. Uh, my comment takes, starts off at verse 12 and goes on a little bit later in this same section. Uh, one thing that stands out is the contrast between earthly wisdom and the grace of God. And then I see an application beginning in verse 15. Uh, you know, Paul's making some plans. He's made some plans. They know the plans. How many times have we made plans in this life that when it comes, you know, we have to make sure we have time off from work, we have, have to plan exactly what day we're going to leave the house, whether we're going to drive or going to fly, whether we need to set up uh, hotels along the way so that we have a place to stop in there. So there's a whole lot of planning. Well, how, what happens to us when all of a sudden something changes and we can't do that? <coughs> Normally, we just go crazy and, and panic. But that's not what Paul did. You know, Paul had plans to go see them. But certain things came up, and I think one of those things is the letters that he, he had to write. Uh, first Corinthians, and some of the things that he had to say there, he wanted to give him more time. But he did not use earthly wisdom and says, okay, this is on my schedule. I'm scheduled to go there on such and such a day. I'm going to be there on such and such a day. But uh, his schedule became fluid because of circumstances. 
And that's what's a wisdom of God. And, and sometimes maybe we're too rich and we can be more fluid. It makes it a whole lot easier uh, understanding the plans that we have that don't turn out the way we originally thought. Yeah, and there's, there's a lot there that we're going to unpack in that. We'll come back to some of that. Yes, Russ. We see the, he brings up the idea of boasting. Um, yeah. It's in First Corinthians, and he's going to bring it up, especially later in Second Corinthians chapter 11 and, and 12, but he, um, he's not boasting in himself and his own accomplishments, but his boast is the Corinthians, and his boast is in the Lord's as well. That's a good point. There are a couple of words uh, that Paul uses in here that can be translated as either um, boasting, uh, confidence, and things like that. That particular word that you see in verse 12, out of the 11 times that it's in the New Testament, six times it's in 2 Corinthians. And, and, and the theme of, well, what do we boast in? It's not that boasting is inherently wrong or bad, um, but, but boasting in self versus boasting in, in others, boasting in God and how he is working, uh, working in us. Um, and, and so he says there in verse 12 that uh, the boasting really at, in verse 12 is... Uh, that the way he has conducted himself was in that simplicity, godly sincerity. He's being transparent. What he's being accused of is being duplicitous, uh, as being wishy-washy, as maybe saying one thing, but, but meaning something else that he's not reliable. Um, and so um, he, they, are, they are looking at what he says and how he conducts himself uh, through a worldly, fleshly lens, um, e even when it comes to his, his plans. Uh, in, verses, uh, in verse 13, we're not writing any other things than what you read and understand, and I trust you will understand even to the end. As also you have understood us in part that we are your boast and you also are ours in the day of our Lord Jesus. That, that um, they have nothing to, to doubt when it comes to Paul. He's saying, guys, you know me. Um, and, and he says, you know, we have the potential for, to be for this unity, the unity in Christ. And, that's, and you're going to see him alluding to that, and that being one of the goals uh, throughout this book. Anything else? Uh, at least, uh, let's uh, say verses 12 through 14. Tony mentioned that uh, his, that uh, they have some accusations against him, but that it's according to fleshly wisdom. Um, that idea, you're going to see in almost every chapter that, that Paul, the way that he lives, the way that he writes, the way that he apostles to them is is different from what the world would expect. And he's drawing this contrast between him and people who are out to make a name for themselves. 
And so, uh, so you'll see that, that theme of, of fleshly wisdom uh, really throughout. So let's uh, continue on in verses 15, um, 15 and following. He again speaks of, of having confidence in, in what he refers to as what his intention was. Um, in verses 15 and 16, uh, I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit or maybe second blessing or second grace might be uh, rendered there to pass by way of you to Macedonia come again from Macedonia to you be helped by you um, on my way to Judea and then in verses 17 and following he, he starts really what his, his defense uh, against accusations and saying Am I a guy who says yes and no at the same time? Am I somebody who, who's trying to trick you, having my fingers crossed behind my back, to ma making plans but, but trying to fool you? Um, again, he's not being duplicitous uh, in, in this. What else? that um, the way that he that he works with these Christians is, is for their benefit um, and yet then it's being um, twisted around twisted around yeah. um, to Bob's point earlier um, 
Paul, uh, Paul is not denying that he made a change, but he's focusing on his sincerity and his desire to be with them and his desire for, for their good. Um, and he's doing that out of love and concern. Love can be a, a hard thing. We already talked a lot about that in 1 Corinthians. Um, their accusation against him is that, that he's acting unloving toward them through, these, through the uh, change in his plans. But not only do we need to, um, to keep God's will in mind when we're making plans, but when we hear the promises of someone else being the recipient of a promise from someone such as Paul, we, we need to understand the intent and the hope behind that promise. Uh, it's not just be careful what you say when you're making a promise, but be careful what you hear when somebody's making a promise. Th think of um, whenever we, we've talked about this motif of Paul being a parent toward his children, Whenever you make a, a promise to your, to your children, and then ch uh, plans have to change, um, how, how do the children often respond? And, and pa Paul, is, Paul is saying that, it, that he's not being, he's not being wishy-washy, he's not trying to trick them, he, he, he loves them, and as Craig uh, already mentioned, uh, that it's really for, for their benefit. Paul, whenever he uh, speaks of these plans, see what he says in, verses, in verse 18 and following. But as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. He's taking an oath to God. Um, he finds the need to authenticate this, his sincerity toward them. Um, and, and I can commend Paul for, for this because he is he's trying to be so connected to God that, that people treat his word as they treat God's word. Uh, and, and that's something for us to, to keep in mind, that, that whenever, that if we are connected to God as we ought to be, then people will, people will trust us as they trust God's word. I don't know if you've seen that meme about Chick-fil-A, but um, he said that um, if Chick-fil-A gives you the wrong thing, you just have to trust that that's what God intended you to eat for lunch and be thankful for it. Um, but I think that's kind of Paul's message here, that they were supposed to be so completely trusting in God that whatever happens, even if it's the opposite of what they thought was his plan for them, they're living every day relying on him and asking him for guidance. And so they believe that what happens is what he wants for them. I just admire that faith, and he wants the Corinthians to have that faith as well. That, like you said, the sayer or the hearer should just be so completely expectant of God's will in their life that they would see it no matter what comes. 
Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Uh, and, and we'll go ahead and jump down again in verse 23, just to reiterate that uh, he's being accused of dishonesty, but he is, he is doing this. He's delaying in coming to them. Or perhaps, perhaps he did come, but not as long as he had hoped. And so he, he left and wrote them a letter instead. Um, he's doing this to spare them. Uh, the reality may be that he didn't show up when he was hoping to or for as long as he was hoping to. Um, and that was because he wanted to give them more time. He didn't want to show up with harshness and with sorrow. Um, and, and Craig made, made this point that, that he could have come when he promised to be there. And he might have been able to get some results from his visit, but without the heart. He might have been able to, to come with them in, in harshness uh, such that uh, changes might have been made, but that, could, but that would have been uh, without without heart. And that's really what Paul is concerned about. He wants, he doesn't just want obedience for the sake of obedience. He wants their hearts to be tied with God, to be tied with Christ, and to be tied with him. And, and uh, his concern is, if you're not, uh, if you're not with me, if you're, if you're doubting me, you're just one step away from doubting, doubting God and doubting Christ. Because who is Paul? Paul is an apostle of Christ. He, Paul's not about himself. He is about the one who has, who has appointed him for this work. Yes, Roy. We see the same thing today in uh, when a leader, when a person... These were false apostles that were saying things about him to discredit him. When a person can't deal with the message, they attack the messenger, the character, even though it's false. And that's a good point. They they seek to discredit him. But but they can't they can't discredit uh, Paul himself and his character without, in essence, discrediting the gospel altogether because Paul, because Paul is not, again, not preaching himself. He is, pre he is, he is preaching uh, the message of Christ. He's preaching this gospel that has transformed him. And, the, and they're starting to, to doubt that. In verse 19, he speaks of the fact that he was, it wasn't some kind of shifty gospel. He's, um, it was him and Silvanus and Timothy, multiple people working uh, with them. And he, he speaks in verses 18 and 19 and following that Paul's faithfulness 
What connects his faithfulness with the faithfulness of God is Jesus. How does he describe Jesus in here as uh, for all the promises of God in him are yes and in him amen to the glory of God through us. Yeah. Just think of those accusations being put against him and he's saying there's no contradiction here. You know, trying to maybe connect it with the first part of the chapter, first part of chapter one, we, ta- we talked about comfort through tribulations and through suffering. Suffering sometimes can cause us to question things. Uh, yeah, even whenever, even perhaps when it comes to questioning God. But Paul is essentially saying, whatever you think of me, if you're doubting me, if you're trying, if you uh, have questions about me, don't apply that to God. God is faithful. I'm, I'm being faithful too. You can trust me, but if you have questions about me, don't question God. There are, there are some people who might get hurt even by people within the church. And so what is their response whenever they get hurt by someone in the church? They leave God. That's not the, that's not the response to have. We, to the, we should always stay true to God because of his true promises, because of his true um, fulfillment of those promises in Jesus. And Josh. That's a good point, that, that when speaking of God and His faithfulness and His promises, that they are, that they are true. And so we ought to be convinced that God's will, uh, that, that God's will will come to fruition, that He will answer prayers uh, whenever we think of that. Um, in accordance to his will to keep his promises, not to do things according to what we want, but that he is a covenant God. He is a promise-making and a promise-keeping God. Um, we need, uh, I have a question here. Are we mindful of God's promises when we pray? And are we laying hold of them as we should? Uh, or are, do we have our own personal agenda whenever we Whenever we pray, um, but but looking at at that verse twenty, all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him Amen. 
And then in verse 21, Now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God, who has sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Um, How could they say yes to God and no to God's apostles? That's essentially what they're trying to do. They're trying to, to, um, in essence, make God in their own image by following people who who have their own personal agendas. And so he, he points out that we are established together Uh, by God in Christ. Paul's not being superior to them, and we see that in the last couple of verses here. Um, And so he he says, we've been united, appointed, established through Christ. We have the seal. We have this spirit as the seal. And you can think of back in the, uh, the Gospel of John, John refers to the Spirit as a comforter. We talked about that in chapter 1. The, the, he, it's not, the Spirit is not just something that pats us on the back and says everything's going to be okay, but gives us strength whenever we have the Spirit uh, within us. Essentially, what we, what we see is Paul has the best intentions for them. He has, his agenda is for their benefit, for their upbuilding. Um, he wants to give them more time. And yet, from a certain perspective, it almost seems to have backfired because people are trying to, to uh, discredit him. And in verses 23 and 24, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul, that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. Um, again, to spare, to spare you. Um, in verse 24, Not that we have dominion over your faith, but are fellow workers for your joy. For by faith you stand. You can see the character of Paul in this. Uh, we have no dominion over your faith. We're not your, we're not your spiritual boss uh, here to tell you do this or something else. But uh, he, he is a fellow worker. He is a co-laborer. Do we have that kind of mindset? As we work together, um, we're, we're not uh, to lord over one another, but we are working together. Uh, Paul, Paul has authority, but it's interesting to see how he views his authority. And what authority is and what authority isn't. He's not going to lord over them. 
He doesn't compel people to obey. And, that's an, and it's also interesting to see how Jesus, through the Gospels, uses authority. Jesus isn't, Jesus is authority. He is the source of authority, just as God is. But you see how he interacts with other people. Does he not act patiently toward his disciples? He wants them to change. He's working with them. He's working in them. He is transforming them, but uh, he doesn't he doesn't come down on them and, and destroy them, but works with them to build them up. Jesse, you look like you had something to say. Yeah, you know, that's, um, and maybe part of a thought. That's a little confusing to me. I look at Paul as a very authoritative figure, and yet I agree exactly with his perspective here, where he's, he's just trying to work with them. And I'm trying to think, does he use his authority when necessary and try, you know, because like I look at him because he, you know, in the way that we digest the Bible, it's like he's the absolute authority on, on things. Um, but to your point, I don't know if he necessarily looked at himself like that. I mean, he was always pointing back to Christ, always. In, any reason for his behavior and his conclusions explanations always went back to Christ. Uh, and maybe for me personally, I just, I hadn't really made that connection. I've, I've just always looked at Paul as the, you know, when you go to Corinthians, Paul is the authority on the subject. Um, but I don't know if he, if maybe he really felt himself that way. Maybe some thoughts. Yeah. Anybody have thoughts on that And they have that they have more experience. Now it's become evident that 
They want to be lords. But Paul, who has the authority, does not. And so that's, that's the very thing to be emulating. But that's not the thing that, to get power in this world, that's not how you get it. But in the kingdom, it's the, the role reversal. And the other thing that you would see in this is that it's exemplifying Christ. It, it's hard to imagine why Christ can believe, but he tells the apostles that he has to believe. It's for their benefit. So that they can finally grow into the individuals that they will become. And they can't do that if he's there lording over them. Uh, three good points uh, that, that uh, you brought up. That last one, uh, Jesus leaving for their benefit. Um, uh, I, you tied it in with 1 Corinthians chapter 1 with the divisions that they were going through. And uh, when it comes down to it, the, the super, super apostles... Uh, had the mindset of, I want people to say, I am of this super apostle. I, will, I, I want people to, to be following me, not this Paul guy over here who, who may have started the church here in Corinth, but, there's, uh, but I want people to follow me. But the, the, the first point that you made, uh, and tying it in with uh, what Jesse had said, uh, his authority has results, and it's the right results, is it not? It's, it, it's, it is the changed lives, and we're going to see that in, in uh, chapter 2. We're going to see that with somebody who, who makes repentance. We're going to see that in chapter 7. Um, and you said that, that not all hearts were changed, but, but <coughs> something that Je Jesse... Um, had said when it comes to authority, perhaps the way that I, I would see it is not that Paul says, well, should I have authority in this situation or should I not have authority? He does have the authority, but how does that look? And think of it in a parent-child relationship. Is I'm not going to necessarily have a situation where I say, well, this situation, I'm gonna, I'll have authority in this next thing. I'm not. But what that looks like is not going to be micromanaging, but it's going to be working with patience, sometimes um, delaying in giving them time to, to work things out, to grow, to make those kinds of changes um, that, that are necessary. Interesting that we see in, in verse 23, Moreover, I call God as witness against my soul that to spare you I came no more to Corinth. He did it to spare them. But in chapters 12 and 13, he reaffirms, I am going to come. I am going to come and I, and I want it to be for your benefit. I want to uh, be a... Uh, be edifying to build you up, but he is—he is going to have some corrective uh, uh, behaviors going uh, in place. In chapter thirteen, uh, 
in verses 1 and uh, 1 through 3. Uh, this will be the third time I'm coming to you. By the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word shall be established. I have told you before, and foretell as I were present the second time. And now being absent, I write to those who have sinned before, and to all the rest, that if I come again, I will not spare. I will not spare, since you seek a proof of Christ speaking in me, uh, who is not weak toward you, but mighty in you. For though he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by the power of God. For we also are weak in him, but we shall live with him by the power of God toward you. Just as Christ is power, so also is Paul. Now, what that always looks like may change based on their willingness to repent, their willingness to change, uh, change their ways. Other thoughts? Sometimes I, I, I have questions, again, uh, on those worksheets such as, what do you learn about God in this? Or what do you learn about Paul? Or what do you learn about uh, the Christians in this? Did anything stand out to you uh, in this section? I really appreciate what Paul has uh, what Paul has done. We're going to continue to see his character in here, not making it about himself, but viewing himself as a servant of God. So, uh, thank you all for your participation. Uh, Craig's going to pick up in chapter two.